Hope you all are doing well. You can open up your Bible to Acts, Acts chapter 18. It's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Um, we uh, have been studying through <clears throat> the book of Acts for a while. And if you look at Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 17, you'll see that in verses 1 through 17, Paul went to a city called Corinth and planted a church there in the city of Corinth. And so when we got to Acts chapter uh, 18 verses 1 through 17, we stopped uh, and then we went and studied 1 Corinthians. So after Paul planted the church in 1 Corinthians, we took a 16-week break from Acts and went and studied 1 Corinthians together. And now we're coming back and we're going to see Paul uh, continue his, his church planting endeavors. Uh, he's in the second missionary journey. He had three total. So we're coming back to Acts chapter 18, uh, starting at verse 18. And so that's where we're going to be picking up back into the book of Acts. So here's the plan. Um, if it works, it's going to be awesome. Uh, we're excited about it. So we're going to study over the next five weeks, uh, Acts chapter 18, Acts chapter 19, and Acts chapter 20. That's going to get us through Paul planting the church in Ephesus, uh, the exchange he has with the Ephesian elders, all of that. Uh, and the goal would be after we see Paul kind of go to this next city of, of Ephesus, which he alluded to at the very end of 1 Corinthians 16. He says, a wide open door has been opened up for me for Ephesus. And there are many adversaries. If you remember that in Acts chapter 16, uh, I don't know what verse it was, 13, 14, 15, something like that. Uh, but whenever he said that, so we're going to see Paul go to Ephesus and plant the church over the next five weeks. And then the goal, Lord willing is we'll go into the book of Ephesians after that. Uh, and we'll start the book of Ephesians, uh, a 12-week series through the book of Ephesians in November, December, and January. So Ephesians will be our Christmas series because it's, it's really Christmassy. Um, and so um, it's not really, but we're going to make it Christmassy because Jesus is, anyway. Um, so <coughs> it's about Jesus. So that's the goal. And in, in, in if the Lord even works more sovereignly, the, the first Sunday that we move into our building, we'll start Ephesians. That. We'll see if that works. Otherwise, you know, we'll still start Ephesians the first week of November. So uh, we, we are in the book of Acts right now. So we're going to see Paul uh, leave the, the city in Corinth uh, and go do some, some more things today. So if you will, if you're able, uh, let's stand and we're going to read uh, the text today. We're starting at Acts chapter 18, verse 18. And we're going to go down through the rest of this chapter down to verse 28. Uh, I'll read and afterwards you'll say, uh, I'll say the word of the Lord, you'll say thanks be to God. Verse 18. After this, uh, Paul stayed many days and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. And with him, Priscilla and Aquila, which he had just met in Acts chapter 18 verse 1. uh, At Syncrea, he he had cut his hair for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus and... He left him there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a long period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed in Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygius, strengthening all the disciples. Now... A Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he only knew the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia... The brothers encouraged him and wrote the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those 
who through grace uh, had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Let's pray together. Jesus, we pray for your help this morning, though it is a substantially shorter text than what we've been doing, uh, full still of so many amazing uh, truths. And so we pray that you would use your word this morning, uh, not only to teach us, but to grow our affections for Christ, and that we would want to also grow in our desire to carry out Christ's mission. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, just so we can get... uh, I'll kind of get acclimated to what's going on. I have brought back the trusty map, so we all know what's going on. So let's go ahead and put up the trusty map here. So here's what happened. Um, All the way over here in the city of Antioch, a long time ago, Paul started his second missionary journey. And he went up from Antioch, and we've been following him all the way along this kind of red line to the city of Corinth. So this is where we just picked up now. So Paul is leaving the city of Corinth, and he set sail and went over to Ephesus. He had Priscilla and Aquila with him, which, whom he met in Corinth. Um, and they were exiled from Rome. Uh, we'll come to that. And so they were in there. So they went over to, to Ephesus, and then he left them there. And then he left and went down to Caesarea. And then it says he went up to the church. That's Jerusalem. And our map, it's down, but... Uh, Topography-wise, it's actually up. So he goes up to Jerusalem, and then it says he goes down, and that means he went all the way to Antioch. So when he goes to Antioch, uh, that's kind of his home base of, church, of starting his church planning and missionary endeavors. So whenever he goes all the way around and comes back to Antioch, at the end of verse 22, he's finished his second missionary journey. Verse 23, it's not this big, huge thing in the text. Verse 23, whenever he leaves and he goes back up, thus begins the third missionary journey of Paul. So when you look at, at verse 22 to 23, when he says, when he landed in Caesarea, went up and greeted the church and, and went down to Antioch, end of missionary journey two. And then it says, verse 23, after spending some time there, likely about nine months uh, with, his, with his folks in Antioch, that was his home base. He let them know God, everything God did on that second missionary journey. You can see in verse 23, he departed and he went from one place to the next. So he goes back to where he really had gone in chapters 13 and 14, uh, strengthening churches. So this was a little bit of a different kind of missionary journey where uh, before he was going and starting new churches, this is going and revisiting. So that's where we're picking up is in, in, in the big map uh, of trying to see what's going on. Because I know when we hear these cities and these regions, and we don't necessarily know that Achaia is, is, a, is an island, but Corinth is actually in Achaia. So Macedonia is up here and contains all these cities. I mean, we don't necessarily know all these things. So I think it's helpful to kind of understand what's going on uh, with Paul. I don't know if I did that right. So uh, what's going on and what these cities mean. So um, that's where we are. So let's go back over to verse 18. And that's where we're going to pick up. Now, as we're going through this, you would have noticed likely uh, three kind of main characters as we go through this little, this little set of verses. There's three main characters. or uh, You can go ahead and put up the title. Three unique portraits of gospel ministry. There's Paul. Uh, don't, go, don't go forward. Don't go forward. There's going to be three people that you'll see. There's Paul. There's going to be Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos. And, and I want to, before we get into the text, I want you to think about the different stations in life when they are. You've got Paul, someone who's single, and, and someone that's older, very mature in their faith, uh, and, and a leader. After that, you've got Priscilla and Aquila, tent makers, not necessarily in ministry, but exiles from Rome who've been brought over to Corinth. While they're there, they figure they'll be on mission, and they're going to go around with Paul uh, 
and so, but, but different than Paul. While he is a, a single older guy, you've got uh, a married couple. And then after that, they're going to, in the sovereign hand of God, run into Apollos in uh, Ephesus. And so you've got someone who's likely a younger single person. So you kind of have these three unique portraits of people that are different in their different stages of life. And so what I want to do is kind of dive into those, those unique little portraits of gospel ministry and how they're used. And hopefully you'll see how that applies to you. you you'll identify with Paul. You'll identify with Priscilla and Aquila. You'll identify with Apollos. You may identify with, with more than one of them, but you'll at least identify with one of these, these little gospel portraits. Uh, and, and hopefully as you see the kind of ministry that they're doing, we'll, we'll, we'll give you some application on how you can take some of the things that they're doing and apply it to your own life and your own ministry. So verse 18, verse 18. Um, After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then he took leave of the brothers. Now that means he stayed in Corinth and then it says he's going to leave and he set sail for Syria with him Priscilla and Aquila. If you look over at verse 1, Paul had just met them uh, in chapter 18. After this, Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth and he found a Jew named Aquila and a native of Pontius, Recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. So they were exiles from their home, from their place of Rome. Uh, and the reason that Paul met them and had and a kind of a kinship with them is that they were both tent makers. You can see that there in the verse, into verse 3. So they, they had something in common. And so they didn't really know each other. But all of a sudden, we jump over to verse 18. Paul had stayed some days in Corinth. He had become close enough to Priscilla and Aquila. He's like, hey, you're already in exile. Why don't you just come with me? Be on mission. Be a, be a couple on mission. They're like, okay, we'll do that. So um, Priscilla and Aquila leave uh, with Paul, and it says at Sincrea, we don't know how to pronounce that. I don't know at least. It says he had, Paul had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. So you can go to number one here. So first we're going to look at Paul and some of the things that he's going to uh, teach us. So Paul stayed many days in Corinth, likely about two years total in the city of Corinth. And then it says he left with Priscilla and Aquila, set sail, eventually comes up to Ephesus. And while he's there, he cuts his hair because he's under a vow. Uh, 1996, I had just transferred uh, colleges from the University of South Carolina to Charleston Southern. All of a sudden, I'm taking Bible classes. And uh, there was a holdover uh, teacher that was still there, Dr. Gary uh, the, the, a conservative kind of wave had come over into the Charleston Southern Religious Faculty, a good one. Um, and those who didn't believe that, you know, the Bible and didn't believe in Genesis and didn't believe that Adam and Eve were real people, those, those professors were gone. Uh, a conservative group had come in, but there was a holdover. Dr. Geary, nice, nice guy, but, but difficult nonetheless to learn from. And I'll never forget, one of the questions on his tests, I, I've never forgotten it, was... Um, what missionary journey did Paul get a haircut? Answer, second. Um, but I didn't know that, and I didn't think that it was very important, and I was very angry. Like, I'm here to learn about the Bible, and you're asking me about haircuts and which missionary journey it was. And I remember being, uh, being very upset, and I haven't forgotten it since 1996, since I took the class and missed the question on the test. Um, but having been very upset about it, I'm thinking to myself, what kind of question is that? And who cares um, that Paul got a haircut? And why would you think that it's so important that I know which one it was, so much so to even put it on an exam? Um, but, you know, God's funny, isn't he? Here, because we're studying the book of Acts. And there is some significance behind Paul's haircut. Uh, not necessarily the significance of which missionary journey. I'll stand by that. It doesn't matter which one it was. Um, 
But the better question might have been, why did Paul get his haircut on his missionary journeys? Not which one did it happen? And the answer, because it says he was under a vow. Paul was under a vow. Um, So the minutia of the missionary journey isn't necessarily the big deal. But why he got it is because it says that he was under a vow. Now, what vow was he under and what's going on? Likely, this is the Nazarite vow. So um, most of y'all probably didn't do your morning devotions in Numbers chapter 6 this morning. So uh, if you look over in Numbers chapter 6, we're going to see the Nazarite vow. Uh, This is what had happened with Paul. Now, Paul didn't have to do this, but he chose to do this. Uh, Anybody that does the Nazarite vow, they choose to do it. And he's not under the law anymore. Anymore, anyway, but he still is Jewish, and nevertheless, he does it. And this isn't just exclusive to men. This can be men or women. You can see right there in verse 2. But this is the Nazarite vow. So uh, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When a man or a woman makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite, to separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. He shall drink uh, no vinegar made from wine or, wine or strong drink, and he shall not. Drink any juices of the grapes or eat grapes fresh or dried all the days of the separation. Eat nothing. So basically he won't, he won't drink any wine or eat any grapes, etc. And you can see in verse 5, all the days of this vow separated, no razor shall touch his head until the time for which he separates himself to the Lord. He shall be holy. He shall let the locks of his hair grow long. And then it gives a lot of stipulations, etc. But at the end of it, he, he eventually shaves his head. He burns his hair as a part of the offering. Um, and... It's over, and then it says at the very end of verse 20, you can see, and after that, the Nazarite may drink wine. Um, So he he can go back to drinking wine. He can take the Lord's Supper now, Um, although they didn't do it then, obviously. So um, that's that's the whole point right here. Paul had done this vow is what we need to to know. So what's going on? Why is Paul making this vow? What's the point of Paul making this vow? Uh, What's he doing? So I think the reason why Paul, there's two main reasons why you make a vow, this Nazarite vow. One is you thank God for past blessing or you are making a petition for future blessing. Um, Likely it's both for Paul, but we can definitely see that he's thanking God for past blessing because you can see this in verse 12 through 17. While he was in Corinth, right before he left, they tried to kill him. They were mad at him. And all of a sudden, they decided not to. In verse 12, it's, Galileo was proconsul of Achaia. This is when he was in Corinth. The Jews made a united attack on Paul. They brought him for the tribunal. They said, this man's persuading people to worship God, contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth to defend himself, uh, Galileo said to the Jews, if it were a matter of uh, doing a vicious crime, that's one thing, O Jews, uh, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it's just a matter about questions and words and names of your own little law, and I'm not a Jew, and I couldn't care much less about Jewish law, um, so I don't really see to it. So just see to it to yourself. And he drove them all out, and he said, get out of here. And then they just, they were so mad, they decided to beat up Sosthenes anyway. Like, they beat him up. Uh, so basically, Paul was spared here. And so I think Paul, from that moment, said, well... The Lord's been good. So I'm going to uh, make this vow as a thankfulness to my heart to, to the Lord. But also, he knows this, is, this isn't uh, just a one-time thing. There had been several circumstances where Paul's life had been in jeopardy, and he's going to go forward. And, uh, and so he's going to petition the Lord for, for future blessings. So Paul makes this Nazarite vow for asking for, for help from the Lord. So uh, what are you trying to say, Fudd? What's the point? Now, I'm not saying that you should grow your hair out and not drink grape juice or wine. Um, you, you wouldn't be able to take the Lord's Supper for a while. So I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that maybe, perhaps, the Lord is saying to all of us, or some of us at least, that for a set period of time, 
that we would separate ourselves wholly unto the Lord. This is what it says in, in uh, Numbers uh, 6. In verse 2, it says, When someone takes the Nazarite vow, whether a man or woman makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite, to separate himself to the Lord for a special time. So perhaps the Lord is impressing upon you. It's been a while. You've, you've been distant, doing your own thing, just running through life, getting junk done. you got stuff going on. And the Lord's beckoning to you and saying, Hey, slow down. Why don't you take... A moment. We might call it a fast in these days, right? Take some time to, to let some things not be happening in your life and push some things away and, and saying, set apart a period of time where you're going to separate yourself wholly unto the Lord. It's not necessary. You're not, you don't have to do it for salvation. But like we look at Paul here, perhaps the Lord's saying to you, you should do this. You don't have to grow your hair out, you don't have to refrain from wine or grape juice. But nevertheless, you could do something like this as a, as a thankfulness of God's past blessing or as a petition for future blessing or, or just a, a pressing in on a time for Christ where you've separated yourself for, for the purpose of holiness just to pursue and know God more. You might say, well, that's, that sounds good, uh, but I, I don't have time for that. I, I, I still have all these things that I'm doing. Well, I would just say this if that's your, if that's your argument, which isn't necessarily bad. Paul was in the middle of his second missionary journey and still was able to find time to be able to do something like this, right? So he, he was a pretty busy guy, right? Our lives aren't so busy that unlike Paul, we can't set aside ourselves and separate ourselves sol- solely and wholly unto the Lord. So um, the first thing I want you to see about Paul is this. The first thing I want you to see is you should never stop pursuing the Lord and holiness in your life, uh, you should never stop pursuing the Lord and hold us in your life. And perhaps for, for you right now, the Lord is saying, and a time would be that you would, you would separate yourself away from things. You could call it a fast. You could call it an Azurite vow. You, you can grow all you grow your hair out if you want. It doesn't matter. Like, but the whole point is that you would, with the old hymn writer, say, take my life and let it be, Lord, consecrated unto thee. I want to set, make, make the time period yourself, a month or whatever, and say, this next month, is for you, where I, I focus in on holiness, and I, I don't allow uh, things to distract me. Never, they have to end. They, they end. They all end. The Nazarite vow ends. These things end because we still have life. We still have things that are going. We still have to um, do different things that take up our time. But maybe the Lord's pressing upon you um, this, this time of, of Pressing into him. That was Paul's haircut, and so it does have significance. But <clears throat> anyway, back to verse 19. And it says, they came to Ephesus, where Paul's going to start his, his normal standard thing. We've said this many times. It says, they came to Ephesus, uh, and he left them there. That means he left Priscilla and Aquila at Ephesus. But he himself, before he leaves Ephesus, like always, uh, goes into the synagogue and reasons with the Jews. When he goes into every single city, there's, there's Jews and Gentiles, Jews who are acquainted with the Old Testament. Those are the, the low-hanging fruit of evangelism for him. They already understand that there's a coming Messiah. They should understand that. So he always goes into every city we'll see. He goes to the synagogue first, and he tries to reason with the Jews and see if there's going to be converts. And never, he does this as well. He's, he's going to leave, he, but he'll eventually come back. But he still wants to do this, this same kind of uh, thing, his custom thing where he goes in, enters the city, uh, and this time it goes well 
when they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. So it clearly went well because they didn't drive him out and try to kill him. They actually are like, hey, why don't you stay a little longer? We like what you're saying. But he says, no, uh, I have to go. But on taking leave of them, he says, I will return if God wills. If God wills, always submitting himself unto the will of the Lord. And uh, then he sets sail from Ephesus, which we saw, and he goes down to, to see the other church. Um, and so uh, Paul, or John Stott says, one, maybe one of the reasons why, and this is, I think, a good insight. One, maybe one of the reasons why, when this unique chance where he goes into Ephesus, in most cases where he goes to these places, he goes to the low-hanging fruit of the Jews and like, get out of here, let's kill him. Uh, they're like, hey, stay longer. Likely, Paul, uh, John Stott opines that perhaps uh, they saw the shaved head, they all were acquainted with the Old Testament, they knew that he had taken the Nazarite vow, and they knew that this man was a serious man of the Lord, and they said, hey, stay longer, we, we respect you. Uh, so the, the outward things that happen because of his pursuit of holiness, which is inevitable, whenever you pursue, you press into God, there's going to be, you don't, you're not trying to flaunt him, like, look at the outward things of holiness that happened to me. But still, nonetheless, whenever you pursue Lord, there are outward things of holiness that happen that people will take note of, and then they want to give a better ear. And so back to the, to the question, maybe the Lord's pressing it in on you, and those around you, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, etc., We'll notice the outward expressions of holiness that happen naturally because you're pressing into the Lord. You're not flaunting it. And you're not trying to say, hey, look at me. I'm super holy. But nevertheless, it would happen. And people would see that and say, hey, could you stay longer and tell me more about Christ? I want to hear some of those things. Um, this is what happens for Paul. He says, not now, but he does plan on coming back. And we see that he actually does. If He's always totally submitting himself to, to, the, to God's will. He says, if the Lord wills. Uh, And then after that, it says that he left, he went up and greeted the church, which we already said, that means he went up to Jerusalem, greets them, and then went down to Antioch, back to Antioch as his his home headquarters. He spent some time there. Uh, This spending time there was probably uh, from the summer of 52, not 1952, but just 52, summer of 52 to the spring of 53. He was there about nine months while he was there, and this is likely uh, during that nine months while he was, uh, when he says spending some time there for this nine months, this is likely while he wrote the letter of 1 Corinthians, which we just read. Um, and so he was there for about nine months. And then it says <clears throat> he strengthened the churches while he was there, and then he left. And so uh, this leaving sent him back over. You can see he went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia, Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. So this is Paul, as he starts his third missionary journey, thinking to himself, I've already gone on my first two missionary journeys to some places that I'd never been before, that the gospel hadn't reached. And when that's the case, I really want those people, they've been evangelized, I really want those people to actually, that have become Christians, grow in their relationship with Christ. Uh, Tony Merida, as he looks at that, says this, Paul's evangelistic zeal as as getting unbelievers saved, his evangelistic zeal, was also mingled with a passion for spiritual growth and healthy congregations. So he had a missionary evangelistic zeal, but also very much a discipleship, you're a believer, I want you to grow in Christ zeal. And he says, we too must earnestly desire to see people converted, uh, like Paul did on the first and second missionary journey, and then see them grow in grace, like he did on the third missionary journey, in the context of healthy churches. So as we look at Paul, there's, there's a balance here that we should... We should be doing the same thing. Uh, 
leveraging our lives for evangelism, but also having a heart for those that get saved to grow in their, in their faith. Uh, so as we see this kind of uh, outline of Paul's next kind of steps from the second missionary journey to the third missionary journey, uh, here's the second thing. For those that are uh, identifying with Paul as we look at this narrative, the second thing is this. Um, always be ready for the next ministry. Always be ready for the next ministry. Number two, always be ready for the next ministry. Paul was. He goes he spends some time with them, uh, likely nine months. He writes 1 Corinthians, and then he knows there's something else to do. He, he wants to go back and do the next thing. So uh, the Lord will continually provide for you ministries. The Lord, he doesn't just give you one and you kind of get it done and you still have another 40 years. He's like, all right, you're good for a while. There's, there's more. There's always more of the Lord that, that he wants to do with you. So you should always be ready for the next ministry. Now, uh, I want to read a text uh, from 1 Corinthians that we were looking at. It'll be on the screen here. I don't always do this. It's really short. It's at the very top uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Whenever we were going through 1 Corinthians, we kind of breezed through it. Uh, it's above these. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, it says this in verse 7. Go ahead and put it up. 1 Corinthians 3, 6. I'm sorry. Um, I planted, Apollos watered. I planted, Apollos watered. And in the context of when we were reading, this is whenever the first Corinthian church was, uh, the Corinthian church was arguing over, we like this guy a lot more, like we like this guy more, we like this more. And Paul's like trying to tell them, uh, what is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants. We're, all, we're both servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned. I planted, Apollos watered, but it was God who gave the, gave the growth. So neither he who plants or he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. But when you're reading kind of in the larger context, you're remembering, uh, you know, these two guys did the work, but God's the one that gives the growth. And so well, we kind of didn't uh, take the one step back and think to ourselves, Paul planted, Apollos watered. How'd that happen? <laughs> Why was it Paul and Apollos? Th- when did, how do they know each other? What, what, what's the context of this little uh, story behind the two? So what I want to do here is... Um, give us a little bit of the backstory of Paul planting and Apollos watering, which we read, and see the wonderful story of God's sovereignty and the manner of which discipleship actually happens in the city of Corinth. So uh, when you go over to verse 24, it says, Now, this is a shift in the narrative that's happening. So we, we've, saw, we've seen Paul uh, go to Ephesus drop off a of Priscilla and Aquila, go down and go on the third missionary journey. And Luke's wanting us to say, oh yeah, back over in Ephesus, there's something that happened whenever he dropped off Priscilla and Aquila. So that's where we are in verse 24. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, this is um, in, in Egypt, so from Africa, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man. So when this happens, by the way, and you just think, well, that's just happenstance. It's not, right? It's the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God is... If you could just think about this for a second. I don't want to give away my conclusion, but, but Paul's, uh, Paul's in Corinth doing work, and he just happens to run into somebody who happened to be tent makers. He says, hey, come with me. And they're like, all right. And then he just happened to go with him to Ephesus, and he leaves. And all of a sudden, here happens to be this guy named uh, Apollos that's just going to happen to run into Priscilla and Aquila, who wouldn't even be there if it weren't for Paul. So, like... Here's what happens. Verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately 
the things of Jesus, though he only knew the baptism of John. So here, we're learning about Apollos, but we're going to, we're going to zoom in on Priscilla and Aquila in this section. But nevertheless, there's some things that he wants us to know about Apollos. We'll come back to that. But he's clearly a gifted guy. He's clearly a gifted guy. And so in verse 26, he went to, uh, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. So gifted, knows the scriptures, a believer, didn't understand everything fully. So uh, you can see that in the very end of verse 25. Though he only knew the baptism of John. So in the book of Acts, there's this unique kind of situation before the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost where those in the, in the Gospels had been baptized with the baptism of John, but they weren't present at Pentecost whenever Peter preached in Acts 2 and all of a sudden people were being baptized in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. If they weren't there when that happened and they were in other regions and they were only familiar with the baptism of John, which was the forerunner of Jesus, they hadn't heard of this new baptism or this the baptism in which Christians should receive is, no, 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 you need to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They knew Christ was, they believed in Christ, but this is a unique situation only in the first century. This would not be happening today. It wouldn't be like I'd run into you and like, hey, you only know John's baptism. You need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit so you can receive the Holy Spirit. But in this particular situation, there is a time where people had not had this happen yet. They, they, they had been baptized in John's baptism, but not... Uh, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, like they did, uh, and like we do. So, he didn't know something accurately. He, he only knew the baptism of John. And says, but he went in to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now, you could say, you could say, well, we don't know exactly what they explained to him more accurately. But I think Luke hints at us what it is, right? In, in the previous verse, is that he didn't understand baptism in its fullest sense. And so as he's preaching the gospel mightily, quite gifted, Priscilla and Aquila hear this, and so they're like, hey, Paulus, uh, we, want, we want to talk to you. Um, it says, actually, in verse 26, Priscilla and Aquila heard him, and they took him, and in some, some translations, NIV says, to his home, which I think is right. I don't know why it's not in the ESV. It pains me. But they likely took him to his home. So uh, it wasn't like in front of everybody. Hey, uh, let me, let me I, kick, I just kid with the NIV if you're an NIV reader. I, it's all just for fun. I don't really mean it. All right. So, uh, but, but just in case you're like, why is he always messing with the NIV? So um, Priscilla and Aquila didn't be like, hey, Apollos, in front of everybody, let me point out all your mistakes. Right. They, they privately take him over to their home. And say, hey, we want to talk to you. There's, there's a couple things we, we think you need to know. And they explain to him the way of God more accurately. Um, now, Priscilla and Aquila, here's the, here's the cool thing. They're a couple that's uh, obviously given their life over to God. They, they're being used by God mightily. And all in all, that they, uh, from beginning of, that we know of, beginning of meeting Paul to the end of what we, we know of their associations with Paul, at least gave eight years of gospel ministry to following or, or doing work with Paul. At least eight years, probably more. But this, this relationship that began in eight, chapter 18, verse 1, uh, began this eight years of ministry and, and, and possibly even more. So here's where it's really cool. So in 18.1, they're, they're already exiles, uh, from, from Rome, and they run into Paul. And we see in verse 19 that they're willing to leave their home and go with Paul to the city of Ephesus. And then Paul's going to say, hey, I know we just met and you kind of followed me here, 
But I'm actually just going to leave you here now. And I, I'm going to leave. And I might be back, if God wills. Uh, but you just stay here and keep, keep doing what you're doing. Okay. And instead of being like, when Paul leaves, well, I guess that's it. Let's just make some tents. They're hearing people speaking and saying, that's not true. Right. We've kind of seen some of this from Paul. Hey, can we talk to you, Apollos? So we see this. Uh, this couple really taking on ministry, uh, being willing to, wherever they are, whatever's going on in their station in life, not necessarily called as a full-time missionary, but, but tent makers nonetheless. They're, they're working their job. They're doing their trade, but on mission. Willing to say, yes, in my trade, in my life, I want to give, give Jesus my life. I want to live on mission no matter what my vocation is. So here's the first thing. And hope, likely m- more than any of you identify with Priscilla and Aquila. Here's the first thing I want you to know. Go over to Priscilla and Aquila, uh, person number two, or uh, portrait number two. Priscilla and Aquila. Number one, be on mission where you are. Be on mission where you are. This is what they're doing. They're willing to say, the Lord has called me to mission, and I want to be obedient to it. So I'm going to be on mission wherever I am. You're likely all going to identify with with this couple. You work a job, you have a trade, you have to make money, etc. You're a married couple. But wherever they are, 18.1, 18.19, 18.26, moving forward, they are on mission. They're following Paul. They're willing to leave, even though they're exiles. They go to another place. They're willing to go and listen uh, and do discipleship. They pull aside somebody and do discipleship with him. Um, so they took him into his home, uh, into their home to, to teach him. Um, one, one writer, Derek Thomas, speaking of Priscilla and Quilla, says this, In the midst of all kinds of adversity in their lives... They were the source of immense good to others, Priscilla and Aquila. Instead of feeling sorry for themselves uh, because they're exiled, they turned their difficulty into an opportunity for ministry. They utilized their marriage, unique as it was to some extent, to the advantage of the gospel. The extent of this advantage for the gospel is seen in the fact that the church... That at the church that that sent Apollos, which we'll see later, um, with writing letters of recommendation, recommendation to Achaia as an apologist for the gospel. So they're even... Which we saw, Paul's gonna, uh, Apollos is going to leave later and go to the, to the region of Achaia. They're, they're writing letters of recommendation saying, accept this guy as a missionary. We just t- spent some time with him, discipled him, trained him. He's ready to go. So they are actually sending missionaries by the time from chapter 18, verse 1, down to chapter 18, verse t- uh, 27. That's a couple living on mission as tent makers. So... Uh, be on mission where you are. And the second thing is, while you're doing that, which we just saw them model, number two, uh, disciple the next generation. Disciple the next generation. This is what they're doing with Apollos. Likely younger than them. Put up number two. Disciple the next generation. Um, they, they find someone younger than them who wasn't necessarily fully, uh, fully discipled in the scriptures. They, and they taught the way of God or explained the way of God more accurately to him. So we can just ask the application question really easily here. All you married couples in the church, who's someone in the church that you can take in? It doesn't have to be a single person. I mean, that's what happened here, but it could be. That you could take in alongside you and spend some time with them in order to have an ongoing discipleship relationship with them. Who is it? Think about who it is and, be- and begin it. You never know if you'd have the pleasure to be able to send them out on mission to go do some, some international mission work, just like they had the pleasure of doing. So uh, that's what we see about Priscilla and Aquila. Now I want to go back over to Apollos. So let's, let's flip back over to verse 24. Uh, we're going to our third portrait here, Apollos. A, a younger single person. Could be, 
he's a male, but for us, for our purposes, it could be male or female, right? A younger single person. So here we go to Apollos. Now, Luke, the writer, wants us to know three things specifically about Apollos. You can see this. Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. So we see, first, that he is a learned and gifted man. Very learned uh, and gifted. So from Alexandria, very educated. Very educated. um, And very gifted. uh, An an amazing mix between the two. And it says that he's competent in the scriptures. This is actually... uh, could be translated mighty in the scriptures, mighty in the scriptures. So even before we keep going forward through these other things we know, um, are you someone that is mighty in the scriptures? Like you know the word and you're able to confidently teach it to others. Or or at least are you someone that wants to be mighty in the scriptures? I want to know the word. I I want to be able to remember things and be able to confidently say this is what God says and pull from other places because I study and share it with people not because I want to look great but just because I want people to know Christ are you mighty in the scriptures do you desire to be this kind of person that's mighty in the scriptures now if studying the scriptures doesn't come easy to you that's okay because you can still be this let's let's keep reading in verse 25 he had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit this is literally burning or boiling hot This is a burning passion uh, in the spirit for Christ. For those that study and education and and intellectual study and being mighty in the scriptures doesn't come easy. All of us can be burning and boiling hot for Christ. All of us can do that. So even if you feel like that kind of, I want to be a mighty man or woman in the scriptures, man, but that's tough. It just is difficult. All of us can be mighty in passion. All of us can be fervent in spirit. But as we're looking at this man, he was a learned, educated, gifted man. The second thing that we can see is that he had been instructed, verse 25, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. This is where we get a little dicey. This is where we get a little dicey because commentators are going both ways. He's not a Christian. He is a Christian. He's not. Kent Hughes, he's not. Uh, Tony Morita, he is. Derek Thomas, I think he was. Uh, John Stott, I'm pretty sure he was. So, like, they're all over the place on... I don't know if he was a Christian. I think he was a Christian. I think that he was a Christian, especially when it says he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. I think that he was a believer in Christ. I just think that he didn't know some things. Um, there, there might be some instances where we can see people that hadn't received John's baptism and they weren't Christians in, in the book of Acts. But I think this was someone who was a Christian and just didn't understand uh, fully baptism. But that's just my view. It's not necessarily uh, a bigger deal, but I think he was a believer. Nevertheless, it doesn't matter because by the time you get to verse 26, where, where Priscilla and Aquila pull him aside and explain the things to God more accurately, by then he was. By the end of verse 26, Christian. So nevertheless, he became one. But the next thing that Luke wants us to know is he only knew the baptism of John. He, only wants, us, he wants us to know that he only knew the baptism of John. So here's what happens then. Apollos, a young guy who sometimes, sometimes young people are a little bit cocky. Sometimes, right? Um, really well educated and quite gifted, an older couple comes to them and they're just tent makers. They're not educated. They make tents. Come to him. And in the first century, one of them's a wife. And if you'll notice, um, when it says, when we first get introduced to him in Acts chapter 18, he found a, a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius. And then he says Priscilla. But down here, 
later on when it starts talking about them, uh, it always says Priscilla and Aquila in verse 18. So he starts with the woman's name in verse 18. And then verse 19, uh, and commentators are hinting that probably because Aquila was the, was the, uh, the wiser one, more learned one, the, the more stronger in the scriptures one, that she was the more gifted one at teaching, not Aquila, not the man. Um, so they, they pull him aside and this young uh, very strong, very educated, very gifted man lets a couple that's just tent makers take him aside and actually teach him the ways of God more accurately. And he doesn't get arrogant, but he listens. And it's likely Priscilla doing it. Likely Priscilla doing it. So for the Apollos, I think the first thing that we can, we can point out to you is this. Be humble and listen to instruction. Number one, be humble and listen to instruction. For those of you that are just getting started in ministry and you're amazingly gifted and amazingly educated, you're crazy smart. As my neighbor from Vermont grew up, you're wicked smart. I never knew, under, knew why they said wicked, but uh, maybe they were devil worshipers. I don't know. I don't think so. But they always said wicked. Anyway, uh, that might be a northern thing. But you're wicked smart, right? Um, be humble and listen. If the, somebody's older than you and they're not as educated as you, they still have a lot to teach you. Tony Morita says, Apollos had... Far more education than Aquila and Priscilla combined, but he still maintained a teachable heart. We should never think that we're beyond the need of further instruction in God's word. No matter how long we've been Christians, how many degrees we hold. And I just add, or who the instruction comes from. Who am I to add to Tony? Not really. But, but, or whoever the instruction comes from. And that, that goes for me, Joe, and Jack, right? Every one of you have something to teach me and Joe and Jack. So, be humble and listen to instruction. Apollos does this. He, he is willing to uh, be humble and listen to instruction. And it was for his good. Then, it says this. Verse 27. Uh, apparently, he listened. If he wasn't a Christian, became one. Or if he was, he already was one. He's very strong. And it says, and he wished to cross to Achaia. Now, that's awesome. I mean, that's just awesome. Go back to the map for me. Go back to the map. So here we are uh, in Ephesus. All this is taking place in Ephesus. And Apollos is like, I wish to go over to Achaia, where they just came from. So maybe they just said, hey, uh, here's what's happened where we just came from. (laughs) And they are a messy church. Let me tell you, you should go over there. They got a lot of problems. Whatever it is, he hears that. He's like the new Christian, you know. Oh, you just came from a place that's got a lot of problems? That's where I want to go. Send me to the hard place. So verse 27, he wished to cross to Achaia. And the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. So this is where it gets pretty awesome. Priscilla and Aquila are so confident in this man's giftedness, ability, and his humility. Let me send a letter. Well, I'm going to send a letter back over to Corinth. and They'll take you in. That sounds good. We're writing it up. So you go ahead and go. And says so he wished to go to Achaia. And he arrived. Look at what happens. He greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Paul planted, Apollos watered. And that's what we see in verse, chapter 3, verse 6 of 1 Corinthians. Some things had to happen first, right? But that's the Apollos watering, is later on, Priscilla and Aquila sent, uh, sent Apollos over there. So here's the thing. Here's the second thing I want you to know for, for you Apollos's. 
Uh, first, be humble and listen to instruction. Number two, number two, your time will come. I promise you, your time will come. And when it does, go. Go. Priscilla and Aquila, Priscilla and Aquila have this amazing ministry where they get to affect those that, uh, the city that they came from back in Corinth through Apollos. They don't go there, but through Apollos, they get to send someone back there, back to Corinth, the messy church that they had grown to love while they were there. So here's probably, I think, one of the coolest things. And, and you've probably pieced it all together here. But I think maybe the coolest thing. Paul ministered in the city of Corinth, just a mess there. And he planted the seed. And then the sovereign hand of God, in chapter 18, verse 1, uh, the sovereign hand of God lets him meet a couple who just happened to be tent makers like him. So they hit it off really well. And whenever this happens, uh, they're, they're exiles from Rome, Priscilla and Aquila, but nonetheless, they had been there long enough in Corinth, Priscilla and Aquila, to develop some street cred, right? They hadn't been there too long, but they had been there long enough to develop some street cred with the people of Corinth. And then uh, they almost die, so they all get out of there and they leave. And then Paul leaves them in Ephesus and says, I, I can't stay, uh, but I, I need to go. There's some other things I need to do. And they're willing to stay. And they say, that's fine, we'll stay here. And it just so happens while they're in Ephesus that this man, the, the sovereign went, uh, hand of the Lord, brings Apollos, who's an incredibly gifted man, very strong, who needs to be quite gifted to go over back over to the city of Corinth and, and uh, argue for Christ. So, so they, they disciple him. They see that he's quite gifted. They spend some time sharpening him. Uh, and under these crazy, crazy set of circumstances of being able to disciple him, they, they see that he's quite gifted. He says, hey, I want to go over to Achaia. And Priscilla and Aquila had enough street cred to say, hey, I can write you a recommendation letter and they'll accept you. So let me write that up. They write up the, the recommendation letter. They give it to him. And when Paul cannot go, and neither Priscilla Quilla are they going to go right now, he goes back over there, and it's said that he becomes a great help to them, and he powerfully refutes the Jews in public, showing that by the Scriptures, because he was a man mighty in the Scriptures, that the Christ was Jesus. And as a matter of fact, the Corinthian church loved Apollos so much, they're like, I'm a love Apollos, you remember. But when we got to the end of verse 16, uh, verse 12, they're like begging Paul, send Apollos back. Send Apollos back. He was so awesome. We want him to come back. It's just amazing. The sovereign hand of God carrying out the mission of, in ways that we could never, ever conceive. Paul knew that Corinth still needed help. And God sends him away. And by all these amazing circumstances, he's able to send somebody, Apollos, back over to the city of Corinth. That's pretty awesome. The sovereignty of God is amazing when it comes to ministry. And I would just say, submit yourself into this sovereign hand of God and see what he wants to do in your life. So let's, let's conclude it this way. Which one of these three are you identifying with right now? Which one of these three are you saying, okay, what you said about that person is, is resonating with me in my station in life. I feel like Paul. I, still, I feel like there's, there's a need to make a vow. There's a need to make a fast. I need to separate myself for purposes unto the Lord, to, to seek his blessing, to ask for his favor, to thank him for his faithfulness in my life. There's something I need to do. Uh, but I also, like Paul, need to be ready for the next mission. Paul is sent out on the third missionary journey, and I'm ready to go. Is it that? Or are you identifying more with Priscilla and Aquila? In this station in life, you're working a job, 
but you need to think about who are the people around you that you can minister to, that you can be around, and you're ready to be on mission where you are. You live in Rock Hill. This is where you are. I'm going to be on mission here, and whenever young people come around, I'm going to disciple them, and I'm going to send them. Hey, have you been to uh, New York? You should go there. It's pretty crazy there. I used to be, live there, like, or whatever. Like, you used to live somewhere, and you want to send people back out to the places, or, or it could be you know, something as small as Sumter. I don't know. It could be, <laughs> doesn't have to be the north. Nothing against the north. Anyway, or, or maybe, it's, maybe you identify with Apollos. You, you've, got, you've got a lot of future ahead of you, and you are quite gifted. And right now you need to be humble. You need to be discipled. And the Lord's going to call you, and you're going to be excited, and you want to go, and you, you want to be used by God to powerfully refute people. Or maybe we could say it this way. You want to be used by God to be a great help to people, to be a great help. Which one of these are you identifying with? And I'd just say... However the Holy Spirit's leading in your heart into one of those three, think about it right now. Write, write it down. Make some applications. Make some, some very precise applications of what you can do over the next seven days to walk in what God's leading you right now. Be obedient to that this week. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for Jesus. We pray that as we uh, think on the fact that there are people that don't know Jesus, that we want to, uh, like these folks here in this text, we want to be obedient to carrying the gospel to them. We thank you that all of us at one point were like Apollos. We weren't believers, um, or like Paul, or even Priscilla and Aquila. We weren't believers at one time, but because of your amazing grace in Christ, you You wooed us out of our sin and drew us to yourself and saved us by grace through faith. This isn't a gift uh, that we've created or manufactured. It's a gift from you that you have called us into and you have saved us. And so we thank you for that. We pray that this amazing grace that you've saved us by will be the amazing grace that we continually trust in as we continually walk in faith as we continually live out sanctification and live on mission for you. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.